0: Hey, if you have a Bible, grab it and go to two passages of Scripture, as is our custom here. Go to the book of Mark, Matthew, Mark, the 8th chapter, and then go to Psalms 1, Psalm 1. And we're going to look at both of those today. Put a marker in Psalm 1, we'll come back to it in a minute. If you did not get one of these on your way in, make sure you get our magazine, um, and go to the second page at some point and read about the 40 days of faith. Some of you have asked, what is that? It's going to be an emphasis involving five different components, Sunday messages, the coordination with what's going on in small groups, weekly scripture memorization, prayer, and fasting together. It is a spiritual growth journey, and I want you to be a part of it. Read more, and um, we're going to start that next week. Now, pastors need encouragement, and when I preach, it needs to be a dialogue. If you can't do anything more than just grunt or groan or say, okay, I hear you or say amen. Either way, I'm going to get you talking to me today, all right? We're going to talk back and forth. I'm going to encourage you, and you encourage me, and together we're going to have a great time in God's Word. Are you ready? Are you with me, Mark chapter 8? All right. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him, and he said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have nothing, uh, they've been with me for three days now, have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some of them have come from far away and his disciples answered him how can one feed these people bread in this desolate place and he asked them how many loaves do you have and they said seven and he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and having given thanks he broke them them meaning the seven loaves and gave them the seven loaves to his disciples and to set before the people and they set them before the crowd and they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that they should also set them before the crowd. Now look at verse 8, and they ate, and they were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, now in the Jewish way of counting, that's 4,000 men. That means there's women plus children. There might be 16,000 people that were fed. And they, he sent them away afterwards after they'd eaten. Immediately he got into the boat and went with his disciples. And they went across the Sea of Galilee to another region. And waiting for him there were his critics, the people standing at the side, just waiting for him to get off. And they demanded that he show them a sign. The Pharisees came, arguing him, seeking a sign from heaven to test him. You know, we don't really believe who you are. Prove it to us. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, and he got into the boat again, and he went to the other side. And he finds his disciples now arguing amongst themselves, and this is amazing. They were arguing because apparently they had forgot to pick up the baskets of seven, you know, baskets of bread left over And he said to them, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And he paints this picture. Just as it only takes a little yeast to infect a whole batch of dough and you can't get it back out, a little bit of the yeast of unbelief will contaminate your faith. And they began discussing, ignoring what he said, and began discussing who had forgotten the bread. They had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you do not see and having ears you do not hear. And don't you remember, it was only about two months ago where I broke the five loaves for the 5,000. And how many baskets did you pick up then? And they said, 12. And how many this afternoon when we fed the 4,000 families, how many baskets did we pick up? And they said, seven. And he says, don't you get it? (laughs) Don't you understand who is in the boat With you, who is in your boat? What expectation do you have of God doing something great in your life? We stand on the threshold of a great opportunity the next decade of the ministry of this church, and we've got this incredible opportunity over these 40 days to grow, and I'm asking you this morning, what is your expectation of what God might do in your life? It was Jesus himself who said, according to your faith, it will be done to you, which tells me that you have a choice. You have a choice to be blessed by God or not, to the degree that you know whatever God is going to do for you, it'll be because you expected him to do for you. Your your expectation of what you can do for God has to do with your expectation of God. So this is going to be a good message today. This is going to challenge your faith. It's going to lift you up, and I'm going to ask you the question. Turn to your neighbor and ask him this question. Who's in your boat? That's all right. You can do that. It's safe. Who's in your boat? All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible word. I thank you for what you're going to do in us today. Let the word of God now go into us, and may it change us. I pray that I would preach as one who loves your people, and that you would change my heart, and you would fill me with your spirit, and all of us would be changed, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Why didn't the disciples expect this miracle to happen? I am mystified as their response. I don't get it. I don't understand how a month before or maybe two months, but really in a very short period of time before, Jesus would be the, in the exact same situation, speaking to a great crowd of people, people getting hungry, people having no place to find food, and he would say to his disciples, you guys feed them. And they said, with what? And they all they had were five loaves and two fish. And they fed 5,000 Jewish families that day. And the miracle did not take place in the master's hands. Because if you read that story, what happened was Jesus did the same thing he did here, where he blessed it, and then he gave it to them, and they broke it into pieces, and then they passed it out, and the miracle of multiplication happened after they gave it. See, it had to be blessed before it could multiply, and then it had to be given before it could multiply. And so the, so the miracle, I want you to get this. It's so important. The, the miracle took place in the disciples' hands. They received five loaves of bread broken up into pieces, and as they did something, as they began to gave it out, it just, didn't, it, it just kept coming. And the miracle took place in their hands. It said there were 12 baskets left over. Coincidentally, there's 12 disciples. They each got their own doggy bag to take home. They ate the fruit of, they ate the miracle. I mean, it, they experienced it fully. And so here they are, a month later, I don't understand their response, I don't understand what Jesus says, and this time not even you feed them, just sort of, you know, you know, it seems to me that we ought to do something, are these people, we need to have some compassion for them, it's been a long time following us, and they've been with us, they're listening to us, maybe we ought to do something, and you would think that the answer would be what, what he's hoping for, and, what, and we would read what he's expecting, which is, Jesus, you know that miracle you did through us like a month ago, could you do it again? But instead, they say, how are we going to feed people bread out here in this desolate place? There is zero expectation that a miracle is going to happen. I don't understand that. You would think this is the second time. It's the second opportunity. It's the same setup, and yet they have no faith. You would have thought their faith would have grown because they'd seen what God can do. This is the futility of asking, of building your faith upon just signs and wonders. They had seen the sign, but now they have no faith. I'm wondering, what is the deal? And so Jesus does the same thing he does before. He, he, he ignores their unbelief, and he, he takes these seven loaves this time, and he breaks them into pieces. He blesses them, puts it in their hand, and they begin to pass it out. And to their shock and amazement, the same miracle takes place. You know what the only difference was between this miracle and the last one? And it is not 4,000 versus 5,000 families. You know what the deal was? Is that the last time he did the miracle... With 5,000 Jewish families, it was a Jewish neighborhood. It was a Jewish town, Beth- Bethesda. And now they're in this region of the Gentiles. They're in this area called the Decapolis, this area of 10 towns that were all Gentile cities. And these guys would say to themselves, there's no way he's doing a miracle for those people. All right? So their faith, even though they know what Jesus can do and what can be done, their, their unbelief, their prejudice has blocked their ability And they have no expectation of what God might do because their mind's about this small. Because he's not going to do that. I hear the words of Jesus ringing loud and clearly today. I I hear these words that say, beware of the contaminating yeast of unbelief. You see, the Pharisees, they meet up with him and they say the same thing. They, you know, prove to us who, who you really are. And Jesus said, no sign will be given to this generation. I'm not here to perform for you. They're not asking because they want to believe. They've already made up their minds. They don't believe he's the son of God. And so they're just trying to pressure him and test him and get him to do something. And he's saying, I'm not playing that game. Faith doesn't demand details. So I am who I am. Choose to believe me or not, but no sign will be given to you. He gets back into the boat and he finds the disciples infected. Because apparently they forgot that he's the son of God at all. They just think they've got another man in the boat. But what happens when the son of God gets into your boat? He finds them arguing because they have forgotten the bread. Their eyes are closed. They've now gone to a place where they had a loaf, but now they're saying, we don't have any bread, and who was the one that forgot? And, And they're arguing with each other. And Jesus is like, are you serious? Are you serious? Are you, really going to, are you really going to go down this road? How can you guys say that you have no bread after this afternoon? The, the absolute irony of a scarcity mentality in this situation, after what you've seen, after the miracles I did a month ago, after what I did today, and you have this bread. And then he says to them exactly, this is what he says, are you stupid? Are you blind? Are you just dumb? Are you thick-headed? Are you just willfully ignorant? I mean, 5,000 families, 12 baskets, right, we picked up? Yes. 4,000 families today, how many baskets? And you say you have no bread. you got one loaf, and you've got me. Preach, Darren Chesky, this is right on. This is awesome. <laughs> Amen. I have to encourage myself today, all right? <laughs> you, don't any, you don't have any bread, you whiners? Quit Will you quit looking at what you don't have and look at what you do have? Uh, that should have been another one of those amens. I mean, that is... I hear Jesus saying the same thing to us. You cannot experience the blessed life when you're contaminated with a scarcity mentality. Beware of the leaven. Beware of the yeast of unbelief. Beware of saying this is what God can do and this is what he won't do. What happens if Jesus, the Son of God, is in your boat? What is possible? What are your great expectations? See, blessed is not just something that a CPA can add up. Blessing is the innate uh, ability, the uncanny, innate ability to succeed over adversity. It's the best definition. It's not that you won't have problems, it's not that you won't have difficulty or things won't go wrong or you won't make mistakes or forget stuff behind, but it is the uncanny, innate ability just to keep on succeeding in the face of adversity. Blessed people just succeed somehow over the adversities of life. You see, blessing speaks to the end of a thing, just as its equal opposite, cursed, speaks to an end of a thing. This is good. This is going to be good. Listen to this. Jesus walks up to a fig tree and he curses it because it's not producing fruit. The disciples don't see anything happen. They go, I guess it didn't work. They walk away. The next day they come back, it's dead because cursing speaks to the end of a thing. Jesus says to Adam and Eve, or the God says to Adam and Eve in the garden, you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. You'll be cursed. They eat of the fruit. They look at each other. We're fine. I guess, it's, I guess we're going to be great, but the clock started ticking, and death began to set in, and eventually they died, because curse speaks to the end of something. Malachi 3.10 says this, that the person who refuses to tithe will remain under the curse, but you look around, and you see people, gosh, they got a nicer car than me. They got a bigger house, and it seems like everything's going great in their life, but curse speaks to the end of a thing. You're Seeing today. So blessing is the opposite, the equal opposite of curse. That if curse speaks to the end of a thing, you need to understand that blessing also speaks to the end of a thing. Just because you have a trial today, just because you have a difficulty today, it doesn't mean you won't have those things, but blessed people succeed. The blessed man, the blessed woman, they continue to be blessed, they experience the greatness of God in spite of the adversities, the challenges, the difficulties that they face. The blessed man, the blessed woman, the blessed student, the blessed church, it doesn't mean they don't make mistakes or have problems, but they succeed in spite of what's going on, amen. So David, the writer of the book of Psalms, he knows a little about adversity, he knows what it's like to struggle. He's come from a family of shepherds, and now he is the king of Israel and have fought, has fought adversity and trial and uh, attack. He's embarrassed himself. He's made mistakes along the way, but he has the ability just to somehow right himself, to land on his feet, to get back up and get back on mission, and he is the man after God's own heart, and he was a blessed man. And he speaks to us exactly what Jesus was saying uh, in, uh, to, to his disciples. you got to watch out for the contaminating yeast of unbelief. And he says, if you're going to be blessed, there's some things you're going to have to watch out for. And as we go into the next decade, I want to be very clear. As we go into this next season of ministry, the next 40 days, there are some things that if you participate with will kill your faith and will stop you dead in your tracks and you will not be blessed. Or you can avoid them. There's three don'ts and one do. And what will you do over these next 40 days? Let's look at what David has to say. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffer. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree that is planted by streams of water, whose leaf doesn't wither. And whatever he... In all that he... In all that he what? In all that he does. In all that he does, he prospers. Three don'ts and a do. All right? Number one, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Not just the evil, but I mean the the ungodly, the person with no regard for God, the person who doesn't factor God in at all. God will not bless you if you are only led by godly, secular advice, so do not be led astray by human thinking alone. Don't just don't be led away by just human thinking because if you only have the natural view on the situation, you have no room for the supernatural. When your goals are only what you can do or what people can do or what the resources are and you've left out God, you are going to be led astray because it's not the way of God. You, you know, you, you see the trends, but you're not to be led by them. If you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, There are some different things to factor in. Yes, look at the economy. Yes, look at the trends. Yes, look at the markets and watch the forecasts, but do not be led by them. Do not follow the thinking pattern of the world. Because he who is in your boat has a few different things to say to you. Oh, this is really good. (laughs) Don't just follow the thinking pattern of the world. Romans twelve two. do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform, don't shape yourself, don't adapt to or imitate or, or mold your head around the world. Now here's the thing that's crazy. The world is, just because the world is going crazy doesn't mean that you have to. I see Christians, people who say they believe in God, and all the inputs to their little life system are all, like, just TV and the internet and what's going on in the world and in the newspaper and all the people they associate with, they get their inputs from the same thing, and so they have just taken on the mentality, they're influenced by the world and its system, which for the most part is contrary to the word of God. God says, don't be conformed to that, but be transformed. God says to change from the inside out. A metamorphosis needs to take place. Like what happens when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, a change from the inside out. When When faith gets deep inside of your heart and the word of God gets deep inside of you, faith comes from hearing that word. You're going to be transformed from the inside out. And that's what the next 40 days is all about. Getting the word of God deeply inside of us. Getting the word of God so deeply within us that the best part of me can be drawn out. I want to get God's word in so that the best part of me can get out. I don't want to crawl at one level when it's in me to fly at another. And you see, a lot of people, they, 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 they sense that. They know that. I wasn't meant for this. I was meant for something more. And there's a frustration when you don't achieve that. And you long for this blessed life. And you want that. But, you know, you've just been taking in the input from everywhere else than from God. And so I need people around me that want me to be transformed, that will help me to be transformed. I want people that will bring out the wings in me and not just the worm in me. I need people that will change me and that will, that will help me. And I need, I need to have my mind uh, set on something different than what's just been coming in in the past. This is, yes, thank you. This is about who and what you let influence you. Who's, who is your counsel? Who is your wisdom? Where are you getting your input from? The Bible says transformation comes from the renewing of the mind. So how do you renew the mind? Well, the mind becomes what it eats. So whatever you read, Whatever you watch, whatever you listen to, whoever you talk to, whoever you're letting speak into your life, that's who you're going to become. That your mind becomes whatever you feed it. If you went in a student, but you came out a doctor, what happened? The transformation occurred because they fed your mind for eight years in medical school. If you listen to militant stuff, if you take in militant stuff, you'll become militant. If you take in Rush Limbaugh all day long, you'll be a little Rush Limbaugh. If you take in Jon Stewart all day long, you'll be a little Jon Stewart. If you take in Jersey Shore all day long, you'll be snooky. You know, you take in racist stuff, you'll become a racist. Did you see this movie, The Help? I mean, what an incredible movie. And the whole sub-theme in that movie that people miss is the fact that you've never seen a racist baby. Racism is learned behavior. This little child looking up into the the eyes of of her nanny and the love, and you are important, you are beautiful, you are kind, and the love that's there, and you realize that racism is a learned behavior because as they grew up and as they sat around and as they listened and they experienced their culture and as those conversations and the patterns of their parents sunk into their mind, they became something totally different than what they once were. And so they became what their little minds were fed. So if you're gonna be transformed, you're gonna have to make some changes. Change who you're talking to, change who you're listening to, change what you're watching, change who you're allowing to speak into your life, change who you're hanging out with, and you will be shocked and surprised at how your life changes. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody today. My daughter has all of these little catchphrases. my daughter, Jordan. She has these little phrases that she says all the time and it's rubbing off on all of our family and everybody, all of her friends, our student ministry, basically all of HSC high school are walking around going, oh, hey, and curses and gasp, how embarrassing and fabulous and controversy. She says these little words all the time and it's starting to rub off. So I'm like a thousand miles away, I'm talking to a grown man, and out of my mouth comes fabulous, which is not even my word. That's not even my word, but what happened was, because of her little influence in my life, and she's always saying that, I adopt her speech patterns, and it's starting to come out in my vernacular. And that's exactly what happens to you. Don't you know that it's true? That you start, haven't you been surprised somebody's got the way they talk and it's just, you start sounding like that? You start talking like that? And you see, this is all about who you let influence you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And don't allow yourself to be corrupted by the yeast of unbelief, of doubt, of cynicism, of bitterness. Because you cannot be blessed. You cannot be blessed with the wrong input. You change what's coming in, it'll change the way that you think. You change the way that you think, it'll change the direction of where you're going. That was good, Darren. You need to keep telling that to us. That is exactly what you need to hear. I want to be around people who cause the best to come out in me. And so I need to get rid of things that are contaminating my life. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel. Of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners. Let's look at the next don't. Number two: Don't adopt the ways of the world. The ways of the world. I used to think this meant don't get in the way of sinners that are coming back to God. Don't like you know be a stumbling block for them. But that's not what this means. This means don't position yourself in their ways. Don't don't take on the patterns of their life. Don't put yourself uh, in their ways. God says to Israel, "I'll bless you if you don't adopt their ways." I tell my kids, I tell my students, and I am telling you today, you are with them, but you are not like them. You need to hear that. You're with the world. You're with them, but you're not like them. Don't take on their ways. See, a way is a, is a penchant. It's a tendency. It's a proclivity. It's, a, it's, it's sort of an inclination. It's not that one thing that you did. It's the whole way. It's your, it's your, whole, your whole behavior, the whole pattern of how you act. You see there are some ways of the world that I've been experiencing and I know you're experiencing them too. Our culture, the way of the world is, is is primarily defined by three ways. This is an ungrateful world. This is a very ungrateful society. Have you noticed that the way of the world is so ungrateful? Parents ungrateful, children ungrateful, teenagers ungrateful, everybody ungrateful. The second way that I'm just so it, it, it bothers me is how disrespectful people are. We live in a disrespectful world. We live in a world where there's no respect for any authority, that everybody is subject to being ripped down and torn apart. No respect. It's a way of the world. These ways are creeping in to the body of Christ. The the third way is just what I call fragmentation, which means that I'll be one way around you, but when I'm around somebody else, I'll be a totally different way. I'll talk to you this way, but as soon as I get behind your back, I'll say some other stuff. I'll be one way with you at church. I'll be another way at school. I'll be another way at my job. I'll be this way with my wife, and I'll be this. Well, you know what I'm saying. It's just fragmentation. Fragmentation. And the people of God are supposed to be known for some different ways. We should be the most grateful people around. Like, God, I'm so grateful for what you have done for me. Thank you for your forgiveness. And if it wasn't for the Lord, and if you hadn't brought me from where, you, where I came from, God, thank you. And a whole attitude of thanksgiving. We should be respectful. We should be respecters of ourselves and respecters of every person because they're all created in the image of God. They bear the imprint of the creator. They they are in the image of God, and, and because of that alone, I'll offer you my best and my respect. We don't see that today. Instead, in the church, we see the ways of the world. We're certainly fragmented when God is looking for men and women of integrity people who will be the same no matter where they are. That What I say to you here is what I'm going to say on the street, is what I'm going to say in my house, is what I'm going to say at the job or in the community. It's going to be the same. I'm not going to talk any different. I'm not going to be any different. That's, think of the relief it would be if you stopped putting on the role for wherever you are, and you just, I am who I am by the grace of God, people of integrity. So we've taken on the ways of the world, and God says, Why? whose ways have you adopted I mean, who do you look like? Do you look like the one who is supposed to be in the boat with you? Mm. Change your ways. You can change your ways and save your marriage. You used to be in love, but now you're just fighting over your ways, you see? Change your ways and really, you could be happy for the rest of your life. I hear people say the stupidest things, dumb things. Like, I'm going to keep it real. I'm just telling it like it is. I'm not going to fool around. I'm just going to say it. They can just have to take it. That is dumb. That's that's ridiculous. That's stupid. Uh, You don't act like that on your job. You have a bad day. You're going in. I'm upset. Walk in. Hello, good morning. Welcome to so-and-so's company. Hello, how are you? And you've changed your ways for people you don't know, but the people you know and love, you're acting like the worst. Come on now. I'm telling it like it is if I've ever told it before, <laughs> right? You, you can change your ways. You can change your ways. The, spirit, the Bible says that, the, that you can quench the Holy Spirit, which means if you can quench the Spirit of God, you can quench your tongue. You can quench your attitude. You can change your ways. And whose ways have you adopted Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel, the wisdom of the ungodly, or, or stand in the way or take on the ways of sinners, of being ungrateful and disrespectful and fragmented. And, but, and, and then the third thing, blessed is the one who does not sit in the seat of the scornful. And the third one, don't hang around. Don't interact, don't associate with bitter people. There's nothing worse than being around a scoffer, someone who's a mocker, someone who is full of scorn, scornful, a person who is bitter. Bitter people will leave you with a bad taste in your mouth. They are faith killers. They are people who drain you. They're always fixated on the negative. I'm telling you, you want to spot a bitter person, the people who fixate on the negative all the time. I'm coming right to where you sit in just a minute. (laughs) I love to ride motorcycles. I love driving them. I've driven them all since I was a little boy. Um, Friday, drove 400 miles, nine hours in southern Indiana all over with my friend Warren Bird. Great time. Love motorcycles. But you know what? I, I I am serious about motorcycle safety. Always have been. I've learned. I've read up on it. I've been to classes. I've. I, I take it so seriously, and it's just a part of the whole discipline when it comes to riding a motorcycle. And it gives me great freedom because of what I know. Let me give you some. Some. Uh, the best thing I can tell you, if you ever want to ride a motorcycle. Okay. Here's the basic safety principle: that whatever you look at, that's where the motorcycle's going to go. <laughs> now that seems obvious, but just Google sometime. Target fixation. Go on YouTube and call target fixation. I mean, that, the basic idea is, is whatever you look at, you stare at that pothole, that bike is going in the pothole. That's where all the accidents come from. In fact, if you go on YouTube and you, you'll see thousands of accidents that happen because people got fixated on the obstacle. So you're going around a corner, maybe just a little bit too fast, and a big truck is coming. And instead of keeping the corner, you cross the yellow line. And if you're fixated on that truck, bam, you're going right into that truck. It's a phenomenon called target fixation. I'm preaching to you right now, and you don't even realize it. But I'm telling you right now, if you are fixated on the obstacles, you are going to hit them head on. You've got to keep your eyes focused. You discipline yourself to keep your mind and your eyes on the road. Yes, the obstacle's coming, but I force myself away from that, and I will look on the path of where I need to be because that's how I'm going to get safely where I'm going. Preach to Aaron Chesky. This is exactly what you need to hear. God wants you to keep your eyes, but there are people who will pull you and fixate you on every negative thing, and you've got to force yourself because everything in you wants to just keep, I want to hear that. Tell me again, what was it like? You need to walk away. You need to look in the other direction and say, I've got some greater goals. I've got some greater expectation. I know exactly where God is taking me, and I refuse to be around people who are going to contaminate my spirit. I will not put up with that. You've got to do that. Now, here's the thing. I've never known a person to say, well, that's me. I'm a bitter person. I'm a scoffer. Nobody ever does that. Nobody ever says, oh, yes, I'm bitter. Nobody does. But there's no way I'm talking to a room this size. I'm not talking to a scoffer. Bitter people are people who just had things happen to them. Things did not go the way they want them to go. They're disappointed. They were rejected. They were hurt. But they never let it go, and they never moved on. And so the pattern of their life now is to rob the joy and the happiness from everybody else. And you get to choose. You see, you cannot be blessed and be bitter, and you cannot be blessed and be around bitter people. It will contaminate your spirit. And I'm just telling you, for one, I'm not going with them. I'm not going with you if you choose bitterness. See ya. I'm going in a different direction. I'm going to where God says that's what's possible when he's in the boat with me. And you've got to make up your mind. The Bible says that bitterness rises up in the heart and spoils you. So many people have been spoiled because of bitterness. Just a little bitterness infects your faith and contaminates you. It will curse you and yet your mind should be on so much greater. God has a better path for you. I told you I was going to keep it real. I'm going to wade right into the middle of it this morning. <laughs> you know why you don't tithe? It's not cuz you can't. It's you won't. You're cynical. You say, "I know what this is all about. This whole teaching, it's all about they're after my money. They just want my money. I'm just after" You know, you know what's funny? Nobody's, you don't say that when you go to the grocery store and buy your groceries. Those people are just after my money. You don't say that when you go to the movie theater. I know what this is all about. Those people are just after my money. You don't say that when you buy Colts tickets and spend your money there. Because, Those people, I'm, I'm going to boycott it. Nobody should go in there because they're just after You don't say that. And yet the movies, the Colts tickets, the, they're not, that's not putting wells in Sierra Leone. That's not changing people's lives. That's not transforming the lives of orphans in Haiti. That's not causing the gospel to go into the lives of people and have their lives be transformed. But here's the problem. Bitterness will wreck your logic. Bitterness... Will take away your ability to think clearly. And the problem is, you hang out with bitter people, you will hear something that sounds close enough to be true, and it'll poison your soul and pull you off of what God is saying. Because God's word needs to be believed and acted upon. And you got to say, God, I'm going to take you at your word and believe and and see by faith where you're going to take me. And if you listen to bitter people and listen to what you say, you have co-opted your, they've co-opted your vision. I'm telling it to you straight. Amen. Thank you. Now, will you choose to hang out with just bitter people, or will you be transformed? Will you not? Will you refuse? If you're not careful, I'm just telling you, you will let contaminating uh, yeast of unbelief, you'll adopt their ways, you'll adopt their speech patterns, you'll adopt their living by their counsel. Your soul is saved, but your mind is gone. You wonder why God is not blessing you. Because... You've been hanging out with the scoffer. Now, let's just cut to it. Three three don'ts and one do. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who doesn't do this, who, who doesn't hang out with the scoffer, who doesn't adopt the ways of sinners, who doesn't adopt their, the thinking, the counsel of this world. But blessed is the man, it says, in all that he does, he prospers. And so this simply says to me, Do what God is telling you to do. Do it. This is just as simple as I can put it. In all that he does, he prospers. Let me say it this way, as simply as I can. God cannot bless what you do not do. God won't bless what you don't do. He can't bless it. Blessing involves action, taking steps of faith. You've got to stop praying for God to bless your life when you refuse to do what he's told you to do. You're asking God, basically, to bless dysfunction. When you don't do the function of what he told you to do, when you don't do that, you're saying, God, bless my dysfunction. And he's not going to do that. God bless his function. So stop asking God. Stop being mystified. Well, God, why aren't you, you know, why haven't you? God can only bless what you do. It sounds when you read this little verse, and all that he does, he prospers, like it's some sort of a, a person that's had the tooth fairy come out and sprinkle some dust, and it just seems that everything they touch turned to gold, and all their life is wonderful, and who are those people? And I want to be around them. I want to be like this this blessed person. And you miss the fact, and you overlook that the blessed man or the blessed woman is a doer. Not just a thinker, not just a wisher, not just a dreamer, not just a hoper, but a person who actually does what God tells them to do. God says, I can't bless what you won't do. So faith comes from the word of God, and then you have a choice to say, if God said it, then I'll do it. And not only that, I am going to eliminate some voices and some influences and some people, And the inputs are going to be closed off here so that God's word and the people of God can speak into me. This is what the 40 days of faith focus is all about. For the next 40 days, we're going to go on a journey to get as much of God's word deeply embedded into us and a decision to say, I'm not listening to the old patterns. So number one, five ways that we're going to focus together. A weekly message from God's word that is going to be full of scripture that's going to to propel your faith to a different level. I promise to bring you that word and your promise needs to be well I'll be here every week for the next 6 weeks. That's right. Second thing is we're going to memorize scripture together. We're going to take and we're going to print it out for you and then you have a choice. You can throw it in the trash, you can say this word is going to become a part of who I am. Thirdly, you're going to take a time where you say I'm going to pray every day and I'm going to read God's word every day. And I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to write on my blog every day for the 40 days beginning April, uh, April <laughs> beginning uh, uh, October the 17th. And I'm, I'm going to write for you a little focus to help you pray and even to help you fast. Because every Tuesday we're going to fast together. And all of us in different ways. And I'll write about that on the blog. Because we're asking God to speak. We're humbling ourselves before God. God, you talk to us. The fourth thing that we're going to study God's word together in a small group with our peers. We're going to, I've, I've written a small group about great men and women of faith and what we can learn from their example. And if you're in a small group, whatever it is that you've been studying, will you just put that on pause for the next six weeks as together we unify for the maximum amount of focus on faith for the next uh, 40 days. And if you're not in a small group, I just want you to pull out that uh, response card, that communication card in your program today and just write your name and say, I need to be in a small group. And we're going to help you get in one before next week. We'll do whatever we can to help you. Again, it's your choice to be a doer. And the fifth thing we're going to do together, and that is every family, every member of Heartland Church, every person that says, this is the place where I worship, we're going to bring the first fruits of our income to God. We're going to tithe together. And again, you have the choice to participate and ask God to bless your function, but don't ask him to bless your dysfunction. These are your choices. These are your choices. You want the blessed life? Then take in the word of God. Here's one more. Here's one more. Some of you, you've never had the opportunity to be baptized as an adult. You've never stood up in front of a group of other people and said, I've decided to follow Jesus with my whole life. He is my Lord and Savior, buried with him, raised to walk a new life. You know you've been meaning to do that, but you just haven't done it yet. Well, next Sunday night, before before we celebrate, before the service begins, we have an opportunity to baptize so many of you. And here's what's going to be different. Some of you have said, well, I, I don't like to speak in front of people big intimidating room, all the lights and the, all that stuff. Well, forget that. We're not going to do any of that. Actually, the baptism is going to occur before the service. So that means that you can be baptized. I'll baptize you right there. Your family can come and stand right around, just a little private thing with you and your family. You don't have to say a speech, no lights, no audience, Just just you and your family. But the key is, it's simple, but just, but it's obedient. Will you obey the word of the Lord and step up and be baptized? Again, God can't bless dysfunction, so just being real with you, how are you expecting God to bless you and pour out on your life when you're still saying, yeah, but I don't really want to get up in front of people and claim him as my Lord and Savior. It's just not going to work, so to the degree that you say, God, I'll do what you say is to the degree that he pours out his blessing on you. How have you limited what God can do? Who is in your boat? How have you closed off your expectations? What great expectations should you have if Jesus is in your boat? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? What will you say yes to? Who do you need to say no to? Who do you need to distance yourself from? What do you need to focus upon? What will you do over these next 40 days? I want to pray for you right now. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your powerful word. Thank you for speaking so clearly. We've adopted, Lord, to our own detriment, the thinking patterns of this world. And right now, I lead our church together to say, God, we repent, we're sorry. Help us to get our minds back upon you. Let us be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we take in your word over these next 40 days. Will you just commit to him in your heart? Yes, God, that's me. I'll do it. I'll commit to seeking you with my whole heart. I'll put you first. I'll be baptized. I'll cut off that negativity. Maybe if you've been one of those bitter persons, I spoke right to you today. You just say, God, I confess. I have been bitter. I'm cynical. I've been a scoffer. I don't want to be that way anymore. Will you change my heart? And maybe someone would say, the truth is, I don't really think Jesus is in my boat, not the way I've been living. And so you simply just come to him. You say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. I humble myself before you. Please forgive me and come into my life. And I want to follow you as best as I know how. I don't understand it all yet, but, but I do want to follow you. And if you'll say, God, that's me. That's me. He'll save you right where you are. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would lead us to dream big for you. Let our next 10 years be the greatest years. Help us to put aside the mocker and the scoffer and not listen, but to believe what's possible when you are with us. And we'll give you the glory. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Wasn't that great? Isn't that good for you? That's exactly what God wants you to hear.